This is With Intrepid Heart Sermons, sermons by Rev. Adam Moline of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear friends in Christ, today we begin the season of Advent. Advent, which focuses on the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This first Sunday of Advent, we focus on how Christ comes to save us from our sins by dying on the cross. The second week, we focus on how he comes again on the last day to bring this sinful world to its end. The third week, we prepare for his coming. Preparing, as we hear the words of John the Baptist, preparing his way. And finally, the last week of Advent, we prepare for his coming in Bethlehem, being born of the Virgin Mary, with angels singing and all of that. Jesus is coming. That's what Advent means. Coming to save this sinful world. The word Advent even is Latin for coming. That's what Jesus is doing. And since Jesus is coming, the time is here for us to repent. That's behind all of these things that we'll talk about. It's time for us to repent. In fact, our Old Testament lesson even warns us that a Savior is coming. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and execute justice and righteousness in the land. These words are bold words for Jeremiah to write, especially in the time and place that he was living. In the life of Jeremiah, the kingdom of Judah appeared to be coming to its end. The house of David looked like it was falling apart. The kingdom was no longer an independent kingdom. Instead, it was a vassal state vacillating between vassalage to Egypt and vassalage to Babylon. It was caught right in the middle of these two kingdoms. And it was trying to figure out which side to choose. The kings of Judah were mere puppets of these other kingdoms. The kings of Judah had adopted worship of the false gods of Babylon and Egypt. The kings of Judah even worshipped falsely, sinfully, and wrongly in Jerusalem, in the temple of the Lord. It seemed almost as if God had been forgotten. The line of kings of Judah had been far from righteous. They had been apostate. They had been evil. 
They had even sacrificed their own children to the false god Molech, burning them alive in fire. God, in the book of Jeremiah, even places a curse upon the house of David. They soon will be driven from power. They soon will be replaced by others. The kings of Judah were wicked. And just to be clear, it wasn't just the kings that were wicked. It was also the people. They also participated in the wickedness of their day and age. They had abandoned God. They had forgot God's promises. They had ignored the call of countless prophets who told them to repent. To change their evil, wicked ways. The people of Judah had forsaken all that God had told them, and they no longer lived by the laws of Moses. The people, too, had sinned. The kingdom of God's chosen people was wavering. Wavering in their faith. They had abandoned God. And so, to bring them to repentance, God was about to act. God was going to remove his grace from them. The land that God had promised to give them and had fulfilled that promise, the land would be taken away, would become a part of a neighboring kingdom. The presence of God in their midst in the temple, the Holy of Holies, well, God would leave. The people would be on their own. The temple in which God had dwelt, well, it would be burned down and destroyed. The benefits of being God's chosen people, God would take those away. Why? Because he's cruel? Because he's mean? No. Rather, to bring the people to repentance so that they would no longer ignore God's word. Seems like kind of a harsh thing, doesn't it? For God to act in such a way. It makes us a little bit uncomfortable. God still acts that way. And always has. After all, God is just. He demands what is right. He hates what is wrong. And those who violate God's command, he justly punishes. Does that mean that all of God's promises are null and void? No. 
God promised the land if the people would worship him. God promised his presence if the people would follow him. God promised, but there were strings attached, at least for the kingdom of Judah. But there were more, bigger promises with no strings attached that God did not forget. There were promises more important than having the land of Israel, more important than having a temple, more important than wealth or power in the world. God's most important promise had nothing to do with any of these things. God's most important promise was the Savior, was Jesus. And even as God removed the people of Judah from the land in which they had lived, even as God allowed his temple on earth to be destroyed, even as it seemed God had abandoned his people, he reminded them yet again of his most important promise. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king, a righteous king, a king who will do what is right and avoid what is wrong, a king who will save his people Israel, who will save the people of every tribe and people and language. God is sending a savior. Jeremiah says. Ten chapters later, Jeremiah repeats this promise almost word for word. Behold, the days are coming, Jeremiah says for the second time, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Jeremiah says, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he shall be called. The Lord is our righteousness. For thus the Lord says, Jeremiah writes, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priests shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, to make sacrifices forever. Jeremiah reminds the people of God's promise of a savior, of a king, of a priest who will rule forever. Dear Christians, we know who that savior, priest, and king is. It's Jesus. And he's not only a king like David was. He's not only a prophet like Jeremiah was. He's not only a priest like Aaron was. He's all three of them together. A prophet, a priest, and a king. 
He comes to sit on his throne. And what is that throne? It is the cross. He's crowned with thorns, robed in purple. He comes as a priest to offer sacrifice. What sacrifice? His blood poured out for the sins of the entire world. He comes as a prophet to preach. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He comes to fulfill God's greatest promise. In our gospel lesson for today, we see Jesus doing just that. Isn't it weird how to begin the season of Advent, to begin a new church year, we read about Palm Sunday. Ride on, ride on in majesty, in lowly pomp, Jesus. Ride on to die. To die for the sins of fallen kings like Jehoiachin, Zedekiah, and the rest. To die for the sins of the people of Judah who had abandoned him, who committed wickedness over the years. To die for the sins of the whole world. Even for you. Yes, you need Jesus also. You also have sinned by your thoughts, by your words, by your deeds. You too have abandoned at times God's promises to you and instead trust in the promises of this sinful world. You follow at times your own sinful nature rather than God's holy word written for you. You live in a land that sacrifices children still to Molech. You live in a land that commits all sorts of evil, sexually devious things. And perhaps you've seen them or done them yourself. You live in a land in which the church is slowly declining around us. Slowly, steadily. And yet, as we see that happen, we're silent when we're amongst friends, or co-workers, or family, who need to hear God's word. You've valued wealth, power, political influence over God's gifts and blessings. Just like the kings of Judah. Just like the people of Judah. You have sinned. And in almost the exact same way. What consequences should a just and righteous God give to us sinners? And yet, Christ has come. 
He's come to die for you. The stump of David's throne has produced a righteous branch. A righteous branch who fulfilled God's word perfectly by actively and passively doing all that God demands. All that was good, right, and salutary. A righteous branch who followed the Father's will. Even going to the cross as the Father commanded. And on the cross, he died for your sin for you for all that you had done wrong he killed it within you so that you no longer needed to be ruled by it in this world instead you're free to be ruled by Christ Jesus, the righteous branch, died for your iniquity. He died for your sexual immorality. He died for your worship of this world. He died for your doubts, for your failures, for your faintness of faith. He died and gives you forgiveness. And with that forgiveness comes peace. And Jesus didn't only die... He rose for you also, so that one day you will rise to live with God forever. Dear Christian, you have been baptized into what Christ has done. You have been grafted onto the righteous branch of Jesus. He is the vine, you are the branches. You now bear fruit because of what he has done for you. Fruit in loving God and serving your neighbors. Fruit in acting like a Christian in this world. All because Christ comes to you. Because he flows through you. And the day has come when God did save his people. Through the work of Jesus. God saved you. That brings us back to today, the season of Advent, where we look forward to the coming of Jesus. Today we hear how he comes to forgive our sins, to forgive all the sins of the entire world, because he has come and so no because he has come no longer do we say as the lord lives who brought us out of egypt no longer do we say as the lord lived who rescued us from the lands of the north instead we say as the lord jesus lives who's rescued us from sin from death and the power of the devil as the lord lives will bring us out of this sinful world and into life everlasting. As the Lord lives, who is the righteous branch who has grafted us onto himself, as the Lord lives, thus we are saved. Dear friends in Christ, Jesus is coming. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. 
In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This has been With Intrepid Heart Sermons by Pastor Adam Moline. The words, With Intrepid Hearts, come from the conclusion to the Book of Concord where it is written, By God's grace, with intrepid hearts, we are willing to appear before the judgment seat of Christ with this confession and give an account of it. We will not speak or write anything contrary to this confession, either publicly or privately. By the strength of God's grace, we intend to abide by it.